Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A chronicle of the life of saxophonist Ronnie Scott from poor Jewish kid growing up in the 1940s East Side, London, to the owner of the legendary nightclub Ronnie's. Glorious clips from performances by jazz greats spanning decades. Dizzy Gillespie, Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald, Jimi Hendrix, Nina Simone, Van Morrison, Chet Baker, and more bring to life this story of a charming, talented man. Who, who secretly wrestled with his own inner demons. The film, again, is called Ronnie's, and we're joined today by the director, producer, and writer of that film, and that would be Oliver Murray. Oliver, welcome to Film School Radio. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so very much. How did this begin? Are you a jazz fan? Are you a Ronnie's fan? Uh, what did what was the origin story for, for the beginning of this documentary? Well, um I'm I'm certainly a music fan, and uh, I got my start making films in in the sort of music video world. So uh, although it's a, a kind of a very different skill set, it's that that same kind of world, I suppose. So after graduating from uh, from art school, I I I I've probably I think I've God maybe ten years now. Um, I've been working in and around the music industry as a filmmaker. So. After my first film, I was asked by um, a, a couple of producers if I was interested in getting this this film up and running. And uh, of it, for, for a Londoner, it is, I, I always describe it as uh, Ronnie Scott's for a Londoner is what somewhere like CBGB's was to a New Yorker. It represents a turning point for London, a time and a place where these sounds and these players came from all over the world to play a tiny 200 seater venue. Uh, and year after year, this, the, the sort of legend of the place grew and grew and grew. And amazingly, it's still there. And even more amazingly, I was the one that was asked to do it. And I didn't have to be asked twice to get my grubby hands all over their, um, their, their archives and work with, work with my team and, and, and their team to, to find all that amazing material that we managed to, to license and, and get in this movie. I do want to ask you about that, the footage that we see in the film. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. I want to ask you, but yeah. let's talk about Ronnie Scott in terms of as, as a musician, uh, maybe kind of his his place in the in the strata of musicians who grew up in london during that period of time in the jazz world where does he fit in ronnie scott was a a kid who's it's one it's one of my favorite eras to explore where you're looking at a post-war london where no one had anything and these kids are growing up everyone's happy to be alive and if they have a passion for something, they they just did it. It's not like now where there are certain economic roadblocks or things that might deter you from from getting it done. Ronnie was a a, a, a musician who never in his wildest dreams thought that he would even make a living, you know, um, let alone actually manage 
his own venue. Uh, so in his DNA as well, I think he is a born entertainer. He's one of those kids that you, you imagine him, you know, whether it's with his saxophone or just with his jokes and his personality, he kind of broke out of working class East End London, which was incredibly hard to do in the UK, especially then. The If you were a working class kid, the, there were certain things that you just, just weren't available to you. But he was clearly a very talented saxophone player and, and and he got a lot of work in big bands and things like that in the uh in in theater land in, in in soho in central london so there's you know hundreds of musicians found work that way but there was a ceiling to where you went after that and then listening to people like uh, getting hold of records through musician friends of people like charlie parker who i think globally Charlie Parker has a lot to answer for because people heard Charlie Parker and and people like Dizzy Gillespie and and it just there was no looking back after that he fell in love with bebop he because he was a decent player the way that he got to New York where all this all the you know the 52nd street was mecca for all of these guys but it was an impossibility to get there on a musician's wage but what he managed to do was he paid for his passage on the Queen Mary, the the ocean liner from London to, uh, well, actually from Southampton on the south coast of of the UK to New York, where he played saxophone on the boat in exchange for passage. And that's how he got to 52nd Street and was absorbing all these sounds. and, And what Ronnie went sort of one step further, which was he fell in love with the whole, the whole experience, the whole club land experience, which Soho in central London was a lot of things, but it was more sort of middle-class, upper-class theatre kind of vibe. There's, I mean, there still is a wonderful uh, tradition of theatre, obviously, in, in London, but these clubs were, I think, uniquely American and maybe sort of also uniquely New York at that point. He came back with a love of bebop and in this era where he simply wanted somewhere to play it. There were no clubs, so it's that old old saying of um you know if if there isn't a scene you build it yourself and him and his friends did that well i'm curious uh, just to go back a little bit in, in time the effects of world war ii on london the bombings did they affect a certain part of london more than others was the east end particularly hard hit and also a little bit you described sort of the the class system at what little i know about british educational system it tends to be kind of a class-based educational system. Is I think so. I think um, I'm just kind of curious. Him sort of overcoming these different all of that, yeah, all of those things. Certainly, uh, during the Blitz of London, the the aerial the Luftwaffe's bombings of uh, of London, the East End and this and the, and South London, where that are traditionally uh, where the uh, poorer communities are from. They got hit the hardest because it was the it was the first stop for these young German bombers, e- even though they were looking for the docks and the, the more high profile targets. These young German kids just wanted to drop their bombs and leave. So a lot of the time, they were dropping it over the East End simply because they could get home quicker. So there was no tactical reason for these places to get completely flattened but the it was the the working class 
poor communities in the east that that lost everything whereas the uh you know where, where most of the the sort of intellectual war effort was being fought in the west and in the north and uh, all those places were uh a lot harder to reach a lot more dangerous so yeah. i guess if you dropped your bombs and got home then as far as everyone was concerned you'd you'd done your job so yeah. uh london was uh completely changed uh because of because of those tactics and and ronnie was right in the middle of it just um trying to stay alive thank you for that because the thing that i take away from ronnie's is that ronnie scott was a quietly determined person he, he didn't seem like a personality he didn't fill up the room with his personality but he was steadfast yeah. and kept moving forward and managed to overcome a lot and i i think anyone i can't even imagine living in a time of my life where i was worried about bombs dropping on me and my family i can't even imagine what that would be like yeah. and i and i don't know if that speaks to some of the issues he had later on in life i i but it, but i i just wanted to kind of bring that into the mix a little bit yeah. so um well so let's so he's gone to new york he's sort of gone to the vatican of jazz if yeah. come back and he's now he's he set his sights on not we know now as ronnie's but another location right yeah okay that's right what was the, how did that go so yes the first site for Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club was on Gerrard Street, which is now right in the middle of Chinatown. Uh, and it, and it, uh, at the time, that there was a, a large Chinese presence, but it wasn't uh, as, it, as extensive as it is now. But it, it definitely wasn't the, uh, the Ronnie's that we think of today. It was a taxi driver's hangout between, you know, when they needed an hour off or so. Um, that's where they went. And he convinced, I mean, you can imagine that this place is, half of the room is full of jazz musicians. The other half are these sort of slightly bewildered taxi drivers wondering what the hell's going on. But uh, that that lasted for, they stayed there for six years and it was absolutely bursting at the seams. It it took a while. I think uh, it's interesting to think about how long five years really is because it, in the overall history of Ronnie's, it, it it isn't a very large percentage at all, but it's a long time to stick it out. If we think about people's business ventures these days, if you're still going in that first incarnation for five years, then I think, you know, if I if I if I did that, even my my mother would probably tell me to to move on and do something else, you know. Um, but uh, then they moved to Frith Street where it is now, which is right in the heart of Soho. Right. And and we need to introduce another uh, person into our conversation when it comes to Ronnie's. Not only is it yes. Ronnie Scott, but Peter King. Now, sort of how does Peter King, who is one of the co-owners of Ronnie's, and yes. obviously these two men were integral, they worked. Well, you tell us, tell us about Peter King. Yeah. So um, uh, he was a player himself as well he was uh, originally he was a saxophone player in the ronnie scott's orchestra before they uh, had even the idea that they would start start a, a club they they kind of hatched the idea of starting a club on the road together they were best friends and and it was their dream to open a jazz club so uh pete was I think by all accounts, he was a good player, but he was a better businessman. 
And I think he knew that he had a star in Ronnie and, and Ronnie knew that without Pete, he didn't have the business acumen to, to get the thing off the ground. So, so Pete was really the, the rock around which the club was built and Ronnie was the stardust as, um, is, is one of the lines from the film I've just quoted, but the, uh, the relationship between those two is the reason that the club became what it has now become. You know, it, it, it needs those two different personalities working together. And I think if only the best, the ups and downs, that the roller coaster of keeping a place like that open for so long, it's um, a remarkable relationship. And one of the, one of my favorite, most touching parts of the film. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Oliver Murray. He is the director, producer, and writer of this terrific documentary film called Ronnie's, uh, which chronicles the the life of not only Ronnie Scott, but also of this amazing club that he created based on his dream, on his experience of being a musician and wanting a place for musicians to come and play and to feel comfortable and to really be able to practice their craft. And he was in the world of jazz, which is, uh, I want to talk, start talking about, and I won't read through all of them because this is crazy. It's a crazy list. <laughs> it is. It is. If you, you, even if you don't know anything about jazz, you, you don't need to know anything about jazz to know, but you would know these names. Um, Dexter Gordon, Ben Webster, Miles Davis, Count Basie, Buddy Rich, Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald, just an amazing, um, Sonny Rollins, Chet Baker, Wayne Shorter. I mean, Jimi Hendrix, by the way, that's a very cool part of the film. Something yeah. that was a revelation to me. Van Morrison played there with Chet Baker. Let's talk about that. One other thing, I do want a little bit of business here before we get into the people and all that. It is opening, it is the international premiere of Four Ronnies at the new uh, the Doc NYC Festival. That's virtual, docnyc.net. You can go there, you can look, you can watch. I think there's over 80 documentary, feature-length documentary films and dozens of short uh, documentary films as well. Go to docnyc and you, you can check out this out. You can watch this amazing film. The video in the film, Ronnie's, was that, a homegrown thing or was this something that randomly happened over the course of how did the, the this amazing video and these performances mm. that we see in the film how did they come about because ronnie's eventually became th the place for uh, what well, ronnie's was was unique in london and i think actually in almost anywhere the the real stars especially the american stars uh the, the these sort of global superstars that came if they were going to come to Europe for the summer, then London was the first stop. And to really get up to speed and get ready to go on these uh, often very highly publicized and lucrative tours, they could get sometimes two weeks of a residency at Ronnie's. So they would be uh, put up in an apartment and they would co come to the same place every night. And so it became the fruit of, of that residency became a very precious thing to these performers. So it was this sort of natural evolution for someone to come along and say, well, why don't we bring cameras to the end of these residencies and capture all that hard work and that, that atmosphere and the vibe of what those uh, weeks were like. And so people like Nina Simone agreed to, well, 
she would agree at half past nine in the morning and then disagree at 11 and but but they filmed that as one of my favorite performances it's so um it's such a raw and intimate venue that seemed to I, technology always gets in the way of performers being able to close down and be absorbed in what they're doing so i think because ronnie's was such a fantastic place to be it was a golden opportunity for these people to consent to cameras coming in so that's it's quite a long-winded way of explaining it but but i think i think that that's why there is so much great footage it's it's because often especially with jazz musicians it's a it's improvisational it's not uh, your kind of three minute pop song approach and so they often don't really like i mean even recordings i think a lot of uh, certainly ronnie scott for instance he basically stopped recording records once he had his his club in the 60s because he much preferred to be on the bandstand playing sonny rollins was the same that the, the you know it's um it was, I think, just just uh, a, a very a very special time that people wanted a record of. Yeah. Luckily, luckily that we have the institutions like the BBC here who have looked after that material for decades, and it sat on the shelf. And I was able to go and blow the dust off and check the labels and um, and get the film reels up and digitize this stuff for the first time. So. Uh, well, yeah, God bless I'm, the BBC. God bless the BBC for this. Because absolutely, are, are, I'm just curious: are there whole performances, or are we, or or there, or are there just songs or you know, random sort of bits uh, here and there? No, that there's usually uh, two or possibly three performances of each. So, okay. um, for instance, the when the the, the, the film is going to be broadcast on the BBC quite soon. And then following the film on the same night, they're going to play the Ella performance, the Ella Fitzgerald performance in full because they have the, 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 the they hold the rights to do that. Um, it, it, I think it was often the case that this stuff was, uh, it, videotapes very expensive. So right. there isn't as much as, uh, as, as you might hope of, of these full performances, but, uh, they they picked that it made my job quite easy because in a way the music was curated by the musicians and by Ronnie and Pete of which songs they wanted to film so I felt like uh, the in, in a lot of ways the pressure of what to choose and do right by these men and women that are no longer with us I felt like because they curated what they filmed it it meant that i i felt i was presenting the the pick of the music that that ronnie himself would probably have chosen if he was standing beside me telling me which ones his favorites were because he championed these people he wanted buddy rich filmed so buddy rich is in the movie <laughs> it's remarkable it really is there's so much here and it, I mean, it's a, sort of a deceptively simple concept, right? We're going to talk about a, a, a nightclub in London that over years and years of it being there has become kind of an institution, sort of a, the place to go if you want to watch great musicians. 
But there's yeah. so much more to the story. Not only is there Ronnie's backstories, Pete's backstories, his family's history, uh, and there are there we do dive into his life. And I'm not yeah. so sure I want to talk. Maybe I do. If you you help me out, how much we want to talk about Ronnie Scott and his life and his struggles and all the rest of it. But for me, it rounds out the film. It just it goes from being kind of an archivist sort of experience to something that's much deeper. Yeah, because I think with every great musician, there comes uh, there. There's usually some kind of a the storm under the calm of a person. I agree. Yeah, and we see that here, and we see. I don't. Todd, I don't know how much you want to talk about his sort of struggles with with his depression. With, yeah, I. I mean, it's been it's been remarkable to to finish the film earlier this year and have world events play out the way they're they're playing because it's a love letter to that club but it's it's also for me an exploration of of why we need places like that from a like from the heart rather than um why we need it culturally um and and why it's important to give this music a platform i i, I music was ronnie's medicine and without an ability to play out his feelings, he suffered terribly from from a, a, a terrible. I think now we would probably, if he had access to doctors, now they would say he's bipolar. Right. But right. at the time, you would, especially for a, a sort of alpha male type who was quite insular. I think the sad thing was if people tried to kind of cheer him up by buying him a drink. You know, it was that kind of like it just that 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 world uh, wasn't very accepting of those kinds of ideas. So he kind of self-medicated with music. And I think a lot of people uh, to, to, all, to different degrees need sh that shared experience of going into a club, whether it's Ronnie's or, or even, you know, going into a cinema um, or watching movies and gigs and all those things. It's been, remarkable to see how a, a a movie about a 20th century subject and, and 20th century performances is so current now because yeah. this is the conversation it's sort of not these venues aren't going to survive what we're going through right now so there are going to be some some terrible casualties in that regard and yeah. i hope that what the the as you say the film is it, it it was important to sort of I wanted to immerse the audience in all this material I had and take people back in time to contextualize what the guys and girls that built that club were were, were doing and where they were coming from. But then it, it sort of turns a corner. And for me, it was about exploring why these musicians need to play, not just want to play or, or why from a business perspective, perspective it's important you know th there is a almost a, a a medical need i think for a ronnie scott or a, a sonny rollins or you know quincy jones without music it, you know it, it's unthinkable um but also here we are and it's happening so uh i i i hope that people come away maybe thinking about their local you know i'd, I'd love someone in kansas to watch this and think about 
their local music venue and how they, these are precious places and they don't they're, they're not going to stay there if we don't look after them and 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 nurture them so so that's my hope that yeah. that anyone around the world could watch this film and and take something from it whether it's the the sheer joy of the musicianship or the the internal struggle of all the all the problems that we all go through but the way that the medicine of getting together and listening to music or going to the movies or whatever it is just that shared experience uh, and watching in this case some of the i think some of the best music committed to film i really do i think i think i defy anyone to watch the buddy rich performance and tell me that that's not one of the greatest dramas you have ever seen yeah well and you mentioned nina simone and you're absolutely right that struck me the same way how raw that was and what yeah it just you know there's just these are staggeringly accomplished musicians in so many ways you know the, the thing that for me comes across about ronnie scott and i think it's a testament to his to him as a person and that is he was a, a very good musician perhaps a great musician you'd have to be the uh you'd have to let me know arbiter of that idea mm. but he was also so consumed with the idea of stepping aside and allowing people to have a platform yeah. and I, I i that that to me is a testament to a character as much as it is anything else it's this character yeah. that was so determined for this to happen i can't help but come away from this film thinking about that part of him yeah. him and peter together this yin and yang of whatever it was that they had and also the people around him, his family, it's in the film, some of the things about his family, his family's life, Pete's life, all, all the things, it's it's all here. And it's it's just a beautiful film, just an absolute gorgeous film to watch. And 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 if you see this film, if you if the people listening to our voices hear that see this film, um, the thing about Jimi Hendrix blew me away. Uh, I happen <laughs> to I happen to have seen Jimi Hendrix um live. So um and he was amazing when I saw him. So wow. quite a, you're, quite one, a, you're one of the lucky ones. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, he was amazing. And, uh, but it just brought back what a tragedy his loss is not just because if 40 years later, where would he have been as a musician? And I have a feeling he would have been, he was veering into jazz. He was a jazz musician. Yeah, for sure. His, yeah. And where he would have ended up. Uh, but uh, I think, that's, I think he, uh, his next, he was going to hook up with Mars Davis. Well, well, you listen to Bitches Brew and you can't help but think of Jimi Hendrix, in, in my opinion. Yeah, they or, were going to do, I mean, pretty sure that that, you know, you hear all sorts of, that, that they would talk about it. But I believe that was a legitimately scheduled, but that, that, was, that was going to happen. So, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad about Jimmy, but I think the, the the reason I was so thrilled that we were able to get the the scene on, on him in is because I I think it it also demonstrated that jazz is a very forward thinking and open medium, and yeah. uh, often I think some people, if you say, "Oh, do you like jazz?" Some people think that it's quite academic, quite quite a closed off community, perhaps. But actually, it, if you had the 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 skills at, at, to play Ronnie's, they let you play. They, you know, they saw what Jimi Hendrix was capable of, 
and couldn't wait to get him up on that stage. And so I think it's also hopefully the film goes some way to helping kids open their ears up to yeah. some of these sounds and go back in time and listen to some of these people because it's amazing and it's it's uh, it's it's not a, a closed off world for the for the sort of academic few it's um, yeah. it's full of all sorts of things for everybody yeah jazz is full of life it is yeah. it's just full of the experience of life well uh, oliver murray thank you thank you for the film Thank you for spending some time with us. Again, the film is called Ronnie's. Its international premiere is at the Doc NYC Film Festival, now virtual. And you can go to docnyc.net to find out how to watch this film and so many other films uh, that you'll 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 want to watch for sure. Uh, director, producer, writer Oliver Murray, thank you so much for being here on Film School Radio. Thanks for your time, Mike. Stay safe and uh, take care. Happy Guy Fawkes Day to you. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music